Hello and welcome to Paranormal or What podcast with me, your host, Michaela Ford. Hello, everybody. Paranormal peeps, how are you doing? I'm fine, thank you. I'm looking out of my back window at the moment to the most beautiful sky. It's light blue coming on dusk with dark pink fluffy clouds. How beautiful. And as I stand here pondering the skies and wondering whether there will be any UFO sightings tonight, I think about the podcast I've got for you tonight. It's going to be great. I did a fantastic interview with a gentleman named Dan, who I shall introduce you to in a minute. And he's had some wild sightings and adventures, which we had a really good chat about. Some of them will blow your mind. So, are you ready? Sit in your aeroplane seat, strap yourself in, get yourself a drink of something hot and spicy, and get ready for Dan's story. Welcome to the podcast, Dan. Hello. Awesome. (laughs) <laughs> how are you i'm doing great how are you yeah good thank you so it's morning for you is it yes and i've just finished work oh awesome <laughs> <laughs> okay fantastic have you um have you been on a podcast before oh yeah i've been on a bunch of them yeah okay is there anything in particular you'd like to talk about or should we just sort of go generally um yeah I don't have anything I'm trying to plug or anything (laughs) you know um I've had experiences everything from Bigfoot to um like spirits and uh you know um I've I've been on uh this one project in Colorado that deals with aliens and (laughs) I mean I've um you know so I've got a bunch of different um categories i guess you'd say that we yeah. could talk about um i've been in the bigfoot thing the longest you know and i've got great stories my my one original story is probably the best story ever but the problem is it takes about 10 minutes to say it <laughs> oh that so, sounds good to me <laughs> <laughs> so um you know it's it's kind of what whatever you want to do you know okay. i'm i'm game for anything i never really prepare for any of this stuff because um i'm really serious about the name big truth and um it's just it it is what it is it's always just the honest answer you know what i mean and um so like i say i don't i don't write anything down or anything for none of these podcasts i just do my thing even when i speak i've spoken at beachfoot a couple times and even then i don't i don't prepare anything i just go up and do it (laughs) yeah it just comes out naturally okay well that's fantastic so, uh, well, maybe I could ask you, first of all, um, what started your interest in the paranormal? Well, I got into Bigfoot um, when I was just a kid, I guess. I had my first real experience when I was 18, and I had some things happen before that, which later on I I can attribute to Bigfoot, you know. And um, so that's where it started, really, was with Bigfoot. And I didn't I didn't go straight from a witness to a researcher. Um, I kept it hidden for 20, almost 30 years before I started talking about my experiences because I didn't honestly know what I had seen. I I didn't know that 
because all I knew at the time was what In Search Of told us, and that was that it was an upright ape. And that's not what I saw. What I saw was more human-like. So it really threw me off. And, um, you know, of course, the people that were with me were telling me it was Bigfoot, but I still didn't know for sure in my mind. You know, um, you tend to try to put everything in a box of what you know or what you've been told. And um, so, uh, you know, you just, you, you don't, uh, you know, unless you're, you know, making stuff up and trying to be make a name for yourself or something, you know. But, I mean, all of that is just silly to me anyway, because there's really no money to be made in Bigfoot, you know. Yeah. Um, so uh, the whole hoaxing thing is just like, um, I think it has a lot to do with um, just the whole false narrative of the internet where um, clickbait has become more important than truth. Yeah. And I mean, we, we see that just running rampant with all the internet news sites, you know, um, it's all about getting the clicks. They just, they throw a huge uh, headline out there to try to get you to click on it and read it, you know, and um, that's where we've come, you know, and I'm, I'm way more old school in my, in my thinking about journalism. You know, I remember when I was a kid and you could watch Tom or, uh, you know, Walter Cronkite on the, on the CBS evening news. And you knew that what he was telling you was the truth. It was yeah. just what it was. There wasn't a fit political slant on it or anything, you know, it was just the news. And that's the way I built my Facebook page, you know, um, of course, when you're when you're dealing with cryptids, it's um it's hard to always stay totally true and know for sure that everything's on the up and up. But, you know, I'd review everything and only posted what I thought was actually legit. And, you know, we do commentaries and stuff. And um, we always try to stay on the up and up and just look at it truthfully like a real journalism site instead of a, you know, hype Internet type yeah. thing. Yeah, that sounds um very much like me actually because uh there's so much rubbish out there it's sometimes hard to to separate the truth from from the uh hype but uh, we can only try so would you like to tell me about your experience please sure um when i was 18 years old my first real experience and um i mean this is this is uh just hairy and crazy and um, the whole circumstances and everything. It's like um, I'm been trying to make movies and stuff for the last several years with my, with my big truth productions. And um, someday I'd really like to make this movie because it's just, um, it's a pretty incredible Bigfoot story. But anyway, let me get into it. So I was, I was hanging out with my buddy, Michael, and I, I was 18 and I think he was 16 and um, there was a place in Upper Lake, California, where we used to hang out. It, it was just the first street bridge. And it was kind of where all the kids around the neighborhood would congregate, you know, every day and just hang out, try to get in some trouble or whatever. And I had this one buddy. His name was Les Christensen. And Les had this old army Jeep. And um, just a couple nights before that, I'd seen Les come up there in his Jeep with only one headlight at night. And um, all of a sudden, Les comes up while Michael and I are there in the same Jeep. And he had two girls with him. And he said, hey, we're going to go up to Pinnacle Rock. You guys want to go? And I was like, yeah, I love Pinnacle Rock. I've been up there several times. And it was just a really cool view. You could see the mountains and everything way behind Lake County. And I'm from Lake County in Northern California. And Clear Lake is the central thing there. 
And from way up there up Pinnacle Rock, you can see the lake down there and Mount Canocti, which is the central thing there. And I mean, and then, but you turn around and you can see for miles and miles and miles back into the woods. It's just a really neat spot. So I was like, yeah, yeah, I would totally want to go. And he's all, but we got to stay the night because I don't have any headlights. I was like, oh, okay, well, sure, I'm down, you know, and it was August and didn't ever even think that it might be cold up there on top of the mountain at night, you know, but he's all, you know, I got, I got a blanket and a, and a sleeping bag and stuff and, you know, and uh, we were like, yeah, so we had to stop by Michael's house because like I say, he was only 16 and he was living with his grandparents at the time. So he ran in there and asked his grandparents if he could come with us and then he comes running out all happy. Yeah, I can go. So the five of us are in this little army jeep and we go heading up the mountain and it's not too far you know it's only about maybe six miles from where we were at till you turn to go up the mountain and then it's a it's a few miles up the mountain before the turn off on this old fire trail like an old fire road and since they've they've piled dirt in places where you're not supposed to go up in there but you know in his old jeep we just went right up over those humps and went on in there and the place is it's an old fire lookout and um, there's there's like steps on the side that go up up the side of the mountain around. And um, I mean, they're not like wooden steps. They're made out of rocks. They're, you know, all, it's all just natural rocks and stuff. But, you know, it's been either either carved out of the rock or, or rocks placed or whatever to make like a stairway it goes up to the top. And there's nothing left of the old fire lookout anymore. It's just all there is is a couple metal stakes in the rock up there. So. We get here and the parking space is down the down the hill a little bit from the from just directly below the rock. And we park and I said, let's go to the end of the road real quick, because it's only about, you know, maybe 75 or 100 yards down the road and it stops. And it's kind of like a cul-de-sac, but, you know, all natural. And it just stops at a cliff and there's a spot to turn around, you know. So I wanted to go out there and check it out. And I was telling those guys about the cool view and stuff. And nobody wanted to go. Everybody's like, no, let's just go up to Pinnacle Rock right now. And I was like, no, I want to go check this out. So I, I go, okay, I'm just going to go over there real quick and check it out myself. I'll be right back. And because I was not afraid of anything back then when I was 18 years old, you know, I didn't think, I didn't even think about bears or anything at that moment. I was just, you know, I'd been in the woods quite a bit with my parents cutting wood and stuff. So it wasn't like it was all new to me, you know, being out in the forest. So I go, I go walking down the end of the road and like from the moment I left those guys, I started getting this feeling of being watched like real hardcore. And I was just like, man, I, I'll bet those guys are trying to mess with me. And they're probably following me, you know, so I didn't turn around or anything. I just kept going and I got to the end of the road and I'm looking at the view and man, that feeling of being watched was so strong. And I just knew that somebody was back there messing with me. So I, I used to be an athlete. I used to play a lot of after school basketball and stuff like that. And I loaded up to get to spin around and I just spun around super fast. And when I spun around, I could see some, something jumped behind the bush and it, I didn't see anything really solid. All I saw was like flowing hair, like six or seven feet high. And all the way down, I saw this black hair flying sideways as this thing jumped behind the bush. And it was right at the opening of the cul-de-sac. And I was like, Oh my God. And all I could think of was bear. You know, I did not think Bigfoot at all at that time. And like I said, you always try to put stuff in a box. And so I, I start walking back and I, I went when I went by the spot, I looked and I didn't see anything at all. And 
man, I was scared. I was, but I did not want to run because I knew better than to run from something in the woods. And I was thinking it was a bear, you know, so you don't want to run from a bear. So I was Olympic walking, like really super fast walking back to the rock. And oh man, that feeling of being watched and the hair standing up on the back of my neck and on top of my head was just intense. And as I'm walking up the stairs, it was like the most incredible feeling of being watched I've ever had. And I was just like, oh my gosh. And I get to the top and I said, oh my gosh, I think I just saw a bear. First thing Les says is, was it the monkey man? And I was like, no, man, it was a bear. And he's all, no, seriously, was it the monkey man? And I'm all, no, what are you talking about? He's all, you know, Bigfoot. And, and then he started telling us, I guess he'd spent some time in the woods. And he started telling us that they throw rocks at you and pine cones and they make this whoop, whoop noise and and i was we were all just blown away we're like what nah you know because like i said all we knew about bigfoot was that it was an upright ape we i mean this was all new to us all this stuff and so we we're sitting there at the top of the rock and les is going on about his stories about you know things that had happened to him in the woods and the four of us the two girls and michael and i were all facing the clear lake and the mountain and stuff, like I said, it's really cool. And Les was facing us, and we were all kind of sitting cross-legged on the top of the rock. And all of a sudden, Les jumps up and runs past us. And he's saying, did you see it? Did you see it? And we're going, see what? No. And he said, I saw a little one. It poked his head up and was looking at us. And it, and we're going, nah, oh, man, come on. And he's all, no, I swear to God, I went back. And when he ran over there, he said he saw it scurry down the back of the cliff and, and around the corner. And, I mean, this is like a cliff. I mean, the back of that thing might be 100 feet to the ground, straight down almost. And then from there, it's straight down the mountain. It's just all shale, rock. And, and so just maybe five minutes after he's telling us this and we're still like, come on, man. You know, we thought he was just telling more stories basically. And like I say, maybe five minutes go by and we heard something go down the mountain behind us down that, like I said, really steep shale shale run down the mountain. And we're like, what the heck? And it, and it went so far down and then the, the noises stopped. And we're like, we thought that was odd. We thought maybe it was a rock or something. And he's, and Les is all, well, speaking of rocks, and he grabs this big rock and he throws it down there. And you could hear it go all the way down the mountain. And I mean, it's like a thousand feet down. It's way, way down, straight down the back of that. And you could hear the rock go all the way down on that shale, way further than the other sound, went, whatever went down the mountain. And then he grabs another rock and he throws it. And it goes so far and then it hits a tree. It's just like, bam. And we're like, huh. And we threw about six or eight rocks down the hill total. And all of them either went all the way to the bottom or they hit a tree and stopped. And it was a big bam. That The only thing that stopped halfway down without hitting a tree was the very first thing we heard after we saw the little thing. Yeah. So we're like, oh, my gosh. And about this time, Les says, we, we better go start a fire. We better get some firewood. You know, it's starting to get dark a little bit. So we went down and took us about 10 minutes maybe to collect up some wood. And I mean, we didn't, it wasn't like firewood. It was big, long sticks and, and branches. And, you know, so we, we get over there and Les and I are trying to start this fire. And he only has four matches in a, in a matchbook. And we didn't have any lighters or anything. This was way back in 1986. 
you know, and uh, he ha and he actually had a flashlight, but he turned it on and, and it went right out and he hit it and it came back on and went back out, uh, you know, back to the old battery flashlights. So basically he had a flashlight, but it was already dead, but he had only four matches and he goes to light the first match and it goes out. And we're just like, Oh no, you know, and we're down there. We're really intense. We got just a couple little scraps of like some food garbage and stuff out of the Jeep for paper. And I mean, we didn't have much. And so he lights the other one and we barely get the little papers going. And we're like, yes. And it goes out. We're like, oh, my gosh. And right about then, this big rock, about 40 or 50 pound egg shaped piece of granite lands about 10 feet from us and rolls right at our feet. And I was just like, whoa, did that fall off of the rock? And Les is like, there's no way it fell off the rock. The rock's way up there. If it fell off the rock, it would have hit the ground way up there. Wouldn't hit the ground right here. And we're just like, what the heck? You know, it just came out of nowhere and we were blown away and we were in shock. But, you know, eventually we just said, oh, well, we need to get this fire going. So we got back. And luckily that second to last match, we got that fire going and it started. And not long after, we're sitting around this fire and we're just standing there talking, you know, and and enjoying the warmth of the fire. And all of a sudden, Les goes, ow, quit throwing rocks. And we're like, what? He said, I just got hit with a rock, man. It was probably the monkey man. And we're just going, oh, come on, man. No way. You know, and he's all, no, I swear to God, I got hit. We're like, no, no. And then all of a sudden, he jumps again and goes, God dang it, I said quit throwing effing rocks. And we're just like, Les, quit. He's like, no, I swear to God, I got hit with another little rock. And he's all, it didn't hurt or anything, but it, it hit me. And right about then, Michael got hit by a rock. And he was like, oh, oh what the? <laughs> and, and then we all this, all of us were like, oh, my gosh, what the heck's going on? You know? And then another rock hits the ground and rolls right by the fire and we all see it, you know, just little, little rocks, little tiny rocks, you know, not real big rocks or anything. And Michael goes over a little ways from the fire, about 10 feet away, and he picks up a rock and throws it back over there in the bushes. And then another rock comes and he picks up another rock. And he's, and at this time he's starting to cuss and cuss at him and stuff. He's all, God dang, quit throwing rocks, you know, and nobody knew who was doing it or what was doing it. You know, it was just a, a mystery to us. And then Les gets up and he goes over there with him. And the two of them start throwing rocks back and forth with the Bigfoot. And it went on and on and on. And I mean, it felt like hours. It felt like, and the girls were freaking out and scared. And I was sitting there by the fire with the girls trying to comfort them and trying to keep them calm. And honestly, that's probably the only thing that kept me from kind of freaking out was the fact that I had to be strong for them because it was like, um, I mean, I can imagine what it would be like to be in a war and not be able to leave the trench. You know, you're going to, you want to run so bad because of all the scary stuff going on, but you can't run because then you're going to be killed, you know? And just, um, the, it was kind of like that where we couldn't leave. I was, I was begging less to go down the hill, just get, let's go down the hill just a little ways. And he wouldn't go with no headlights. And I was, I'll just lead you. I'll, I'll walk right in front of the Jeep, you know, and I'll tell you where, where to go. He's all, no. And I was just a little ways down the hill, you know, <laughs> he wouldn't do it. And it, 
And it probably only, I don't know how long it lasted, maybe only five or 10 minutes it lasted, but I swear it seemed like hours just because of the situation and not knowing what was going on and being so stressed out and scared. And all of a sudden they both, they both said, did you see, did you see that? Did you see it? And they both saw one. And it was like, they said it was like a 12 year old boy, but a Bigfoot next to this bush throwing a rock at him. So they kept on throwing rocks and it wasn't long after that, Michael, he turns and runs backwards and sideways, like at the same time and going, he says, twins, twins. And we're like, what? And Les is all, yeah, I saw it too. There was two of them, one on each side of the bush. And they were like the same, the, the same 12 year old boy throwing rocks. And the, me and the girls didn't see him, you know, but they, they both saw him. And I mean, Honestly, that's the only time I've ever heard a story where they, anybody talked about twins. So it was really incredible. Yeah. And and we were all just freaking out, you know, and somehow eventually it stopped. The, the rocks stopped coming. They stopped throwing rocks. And we all started just standing around the fire again. You know, we thought it was over. We were really relieved. And um, then we got comfortable after a little bit. And we were even sitting around the fire. And I remember I was sitting right next to one of the girls, Susan, that I went to school with. I can't remember the other girl's name, honestly. She went to a different school. But Susan, which was in Les's grade, which is one grade above me. So they were probably like 19. I was 18, you know. And But Susan was next to me, and we're sitting by the fire. And Les, he kicks the fire. There was a big, big branch sticking out of the fire, and he kicked that branch. And if you've been around campfires, you know if you if you disturb the fire, it blazes up, and you can yeah. see around and when he did that, there was this huge Bigfoot about 30 feet away next to this tree watching us. And me and Susan were both looking right over that direction. And we both saw him. And she said, oh, my God. And I said, I see it, too. And by then, he'd already when when she said, oh, my God, he went. And he just stepped behind the tree. Just like that. I mean, I saw him for like one or two seconds, maybe. You know, it was so fast, but I will never forget that the face, you know, I was just fixed on the face and he was looking right at me too. And, oh my gosh. I mean, there's a lot of big, Bigfoot illustrations that really matched what I saw. You know, it had the really thick brow, had wide set eyes, not real big eyes, but just wide set and big wide nose, wide mouth, you know. And um, I always, I always say that he kind of looked Native American to me. And I say that because of the beard pattern on the face. It was kind of sketchy here, you know, not not yeah. real thick mustache, not a real thick beard like a Norwegian or something. It was kind of, you know, more just mutton chops on the sides and a little sketchy mustache right here, you know, more of that type of a beard um, look to him. And uh, I was just I was just stunned and amazed. And like I said, we didn't have a flashlight even at that point. The first thing we did was try to rouse up the fire again and go over there and try to look and see what was, you know, and I ran over there looking at, and of course he was totally gone by then. <laughs> oh, excuse me. So we were all freaking out um, by this time. That one girl, uh, oddly enough, still hadn't seen anything. You know, when I walked down the street, I saw something, you know, Les saw the little one poke his head. Those two guys saw the twins and I saw this with with Susan, this big 
big, and I mean, he was eight feet tall, four feet wide, just massive. And I would say he was, he wasn't really, you know, young. He was more like probably in his fifties or something looking, you know, and his teeth weren't perfect when he did that. Oh, we could kind of see his teeth and I could see they were kind of messed up. They weren't, they weren't like a perfect mouth of teeth or anything like that. But I mean, I couldn't tell you what he looked like from here down because it was just like, it was so quick and yeah. you you just, uh, your eyes fix on that face, you know, that. So after uh, that, oh, I'm sorry. Wait, no, it's okay. I'll just say, wow. <laughs> <laughs> so after that, we all try to settle down and go to sleep. And Les had a blanket and he decided to try to sleep in the seat of his Jeep. And there was two sleeping bags and we put them together and we were all, all four of us were trying to sleep in these two sleeping bags zipped together. And there wasn't enough room. It was just like ridiculous. And Michael got all frustrated and mad and got out and went to the Jeep with Les. So then lucky me, I got to stay in the sleeping bag with the two girls. And, but I swear, I don't think any of us slept at all because as we're trying to sleep through the night, we kept hearing these huge footsteps, like walking around our camp on both sides like there was there was the the rock up above us and then it, it came it was all cleared out to where we were camping right by this tree and then down below that was where the jeep was in the parking lot and on both sides of that it was all forest and you could hear something walking on both sides all night long and oh my gosh and and then i like at the very first light i'm the very very first you like even hint that there might be sun coming up we packed up and got in the Jeep and we were just sitting there. In the Jeep. And I was like, did you, did you hear that? There was some elk or something walking around. I mean, still, still trying to put something in a box, even, even after all the stuff we experienced, you know, and Les is all, it was a monkey man. Don't you remember last night, all this stuff, you know, and you even saw that guy, in a, you know, and I was just like, well, yeah, I know, but I just, I thought it was elk or something, you know, I mean, it was, it's just so weird how your brain will not, like grasp what happened or what you saw and it tries to make up any excuse is it's pretty wild and then so we get at the very first light we start driving and we're driving and i swear after, after that initial little conversation not one of us said a word all the way down the mountain all of us were looking especially at first we kept looking back looking back making sure we weren't being followed and and we all went home and I, I wouldn't talk about it. I didn't even know. I didn't know what the heck I saw. I thought it was some kind of wild man or something. I did not because it, like I said, it didn't match the in search of description that I knew. And it was a couple months after that. I think there was a house party and I walk in this room and Les is standing there with a bunch of guys around him telling the stories about what happened. And he said, Oh, there's Dan. Come here. Come here, Dan. Tell him about the monkey man. And I went, Oh, I just said, Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And I turned around and I walked out. And I mean, that's, that's how I was about the whole thing. I did not, I didn't really want anything to do with it, you know, cause I, I still didn't know. And then come around to around 2010, 11, 12, uh, I got into Facebook and I found that there was a Bigfoot community and I started seeing how people were reporting more human looking Bigfoot. And I also, you know, heard about the Melba Ketchum, dna thing going on where um bigfoot's going to be discovered and i was like well gosh my stories aren't going to be worth much if i don't tell them now 
you know? So that's when I got my YouTube channel and I just, I started telling my stories and, and making these little videos, you know? And I also had some friends back then in Lake County where I grew up were that told me their stories, you know, cause I did like just a select few people I did share it with, you know, hanging out and they told me some of their stories and I collected all those stories and put them on the YouTube channel. Eventually that became a book. That was, that's my book, Northern California Sasquatch stories. And it's the, the stories from my videos that are on my big truth YouTube channel. Yeah. Wow. Fantastic. What an amazing story. So when you saw him, how thick was the hair on his body? I know you only saw him at the top, but was it more like a gorilla or was it more like a hairy man? Um, well, like I say, I, I, I was fixated on the face, mm. but I would, I would say my, just my impression was more of a hairy man yeah. than like a, a furry gorilla, you know? I, I do. And what I saw at the end of the road in the cul-de-sac, it was not fur by any means. It was hair because it was like it was flowing. It was stringing out away from the animal or the, the Bigfoot, you know, yeah. and um, that's not the way fur works. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. So do you think that um, all the sightings over North America, let's say, do you think they're the same? species or do you think there are different species or tribes or different kinds what's your thoughts about that well i think they're very similar to humans in the respect as as much as i also believe they have interbred with humans especially like in the in the northwest of america um in this area where i'm at because of just how how similar they look to humans and there's so many native american stories of them taking taking young girls and and um you know so i i truly believe that but i don't i don't think they're different species per se i think they're just just as diverse as people and then if you add in human dna to that mixture then i think they're very very diverse and and different all around the place and it has a lot to do with just their own family genes than say a different species and that's just yeah. my own theory and also you know skunk apes are the same as a uh, bigfoot in alaska or canada uh, genetically i think but because the swamp ape is down there in florida or you know alabama or something they tend to be a lot skinnier smaller per se you know and but that's everything if you look at bears it's the same exact thing all mammals you know as you go north they get bigger and thicker and have more fat reserves and it's just yeah. nature it's just natural yeah i mean um i'm really fascinated as well by i mean i know this didn't happen in your experience about whether you think that they have um, a language because quite a few people have experience what sounds like communication in some sort of language what do you think about that i would i would agree completely i have heard some um i've heard several times i've heard what sounded more like whispering than anything i couldn't make it out and there's also uh one time i came across what looked like a bedding type structure it was a tree that was down but all the boughs were kind of centrally placed and something had been laying there, something big. 
And when we came across it, it stunk to high heaven. And I've smelled that smell before. It's like rotten meat, BO. It's really just a nasty smell. And we smelled that. And just down the hill from where we were at, as we're sitting here looking at this structure, we hear this woohoo. And, and it was in a female voice, but big. It sounded like a big female. Yeah. And I, you know, I didn't, I didn't know what to think of that. And, um, but I definitely think they have a language, you know, and I would go more by, uh, you know, other people's evidence than my own experiences or my own evidence, you know, as far as that goes. But like I say, I've heard, heard like whispering several times, but it's, it's hard to say exactly what that is. And that's another thing I'm real big on is not attributing everything to Bigfoot. You know, you need to eliminate everything else first. And I mean everything. You know, I've seen people post footprints that all it is is drips from a tree. Because what happens is these pine trees and stuff, they'll drip onto the ground, which is mostly pine needles. And, you know, when the snow's melting, it'll all drip off in one spot. And yeah. sometimes it looks like a circle. Sometimes it looks like a, a Bigfoot foot. <laughs> You know, yeah. just the way it disturbs the ground and it's an impression. And I've seen that several times, you know, and there's just a lot of discernment that doesn't go on a lot. And, you know, and there's also the thing about people seeing things in pictures and it's 99.99999% of the time. It's just a shadow in the picture, yeah. you know, and what they do is they, they make these people more apt to post these pictures when they tell them, Oh, I see it too. There it is. You know, and it's really a crazy, um, like a continuum of pareidolia that, that goes on in the community. That's, it's really harmful. Actually, if we're trying to prove this thing exists, yeah, it, it sheds a lot of, um, just shade on the whole the whole idea that we're in any way you know scientifically based trying trying to do this thing you know yeah because I think um I think there are a lot of genuine people who just really 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 want to have seen evidence of one and they're so um excited about what they've seen that they don't think rationally and then obviously there are people who are just playing tricks which just really as you say harms everything yes absolutely absolutely and um so what are your thoughts on um i know this is quite a big uh divisive um idea between people who are interested in bigfoot do you are you absolutely convinced that bigfoot is um a a creature a physical creature what do you think of the people who claim to have seen um bigfoot sort of turning into an orange ball of light and flying off things you know transdimensional what's what's your take well my take on that is that you know i used to be very staunchly just all about the scientific method and very much flesh and blood you know and it and not so much my own experiences but People that I've learned to trust, you know, people that I know that I've learned to to love and trust, tell me about these things. And the last thing I'm going to do is call them a liar. Yeah. So I became more open minded about it. And I do think that 
if you're trying to be scientific about anything, you still have to have an open mind. Otherwise, you're not really being scientific. You have to you have to look at all the options, you know. And what I've seen and discovered and even experienced myself is that there is more to Bigfoot than just regular flesh and blood. Now, maybe not all Bigfoot. Now, again, I come back to the diversity. And in the same way that they might look a lot different, I think that in a lot of ways, different tribes, even different individuals might have completely different levels of abilities to do things like um, to be able to move, like, say, theoretically, inter interdimensionally, or to be able to mind speak with somebody. I wouldn't think that every Sasquatch would be able to do that. And even with the mixing of human genes would probably tamper down anything they might naturally have. Um, I do think that there's, there is a great deal of really a weirdness. There is probably Bigfoot on this planet that can't do anything extra special. They can't cloak. They can't move interdimensionally. They can't, you know, they are earthbound. They're, they're just like the classic flesh and blood. And then I think there's all the way on the other spectrum, possibly, that there are individuals who are from another planet even. I don't know. You know, I mean, seriously, you have to you have to leave all your options open when you think about these things, because I've seen orbs, you know, and I've seen. I've I've been abducted when I was out on a Bigfoot hunt. I was abducted by freaking aliens and. Um, the, there's a lot of commonality. There's a lot of times people have experiences where there's these things intertwined. And I used to think that it was coincidence that maybe those things are both attracted to the same types of energy or whatever. But I do tend to think that it's there, it's a lot more connected and we are the ones that are on the outside. In my honest opinion, I think that you know, aliens, human spirits, Bigfoot, if if they can move dimension interdimensionally, then I believe that all of those live on the same plane. Because we've had contact with human spirits who are also having contact with these entities on the other plane and dealing and talking about portals. And apparently human spirits can move through these portals just like these other interdimensional entities can. And that was from our research in Colorado through a psychic, which has been vetted. And I mean, she's really, really, really good. And she never even, she doesn't want to do this. It's not, it came up to her, her, her mission in life is to help people cross over to heaven, you know, who are the souls that are stuck in like a, a purgatory or whatever that can't get there or they won't for some reason and she she'll talk to him and help him and then she got approached by my buddy greg when he's starting this paranormal thing and asked her to go out to this cattle mutilation site and she picked up a bone and it just all went from there when she picked up that bone she felt what the cow felt and the cow was taken up into a ship like almost instantly it was bathed in light and taken up into this ship and Again, almost instantly, all the blood was taken out of the cow. Whoosh. And then they do certain things like this mad scientist stuff on the cow. And then they, they come back and they just drop it from 
30, 40 feet up. And um, she says, and there's people too. And she was crying at this point while she's holding this bone. And she says, some of them are, are, are not alive anymore. And it was like, it was, it was like really, really shocking, you know, to see this and hear this. And this is all on the documentary that we're working on right now. And then after this happens, um, oh, where was I going with that? Oh, I'm sorry. I kind of lost my train of thought. No, that's but, right. um, oh, oh, that's what it was. When that happened, when she went up into the ship in her mind and, and experienced what the cow experienced, somehow a line of communication was opened up with the gray aliens when she did that. And ever since then, she's been able to communicate with the grays. And um, there's, there's, it's a really, really um, intricate story. There's lots of different facets. There's a, there's a human spirit involved. There's Sasquatches involved, the, the alien grays and these cattle mutilations. And it's all balled up into one big story. And, um, and even being attacked by spirits in my buddy's house in town, not even on location where the, the mutilations happened in, t in the little town of Trinidad, Colorado. And uh, it's just, it's pretty incredible. And like I say, we're working on that documentary right now. We hope to maybe by this summer, we'll be able to get it out somewhere. And um, it's being edited right now. And the thing is about my buddy, Greg, he's, he's an ex police officer and paramedic. And he knows he, he got interested in the academy relations because he was called out on a couple when he was a sheriff yeah. or a sheriff's deputy. And he, he built up this, this um, investigation team and boy, he's got all this equipment, everything, you know, and he has everything that's happened is recorded. He has like a, he has a body cam. He has a, a dash cam. He's got all kinds of cameras and, and, you know, meters and everything, you know, he's got an SLS camera where it shows, shows like a skeleton figure yeah. where the ghost yeah. is or whatever. I mean, he's set up, he's got all this stuff. And um, this is, is pretty interesting little side note. I, when I got there, I went there to help him. Um, and I think, gosh, I can't remember when it was, it was at least a couple of years ago. I went to go help him to find this spirit body that was murdered and thrown in this river. So I go to help him and I get there and we go down in his basement and he had everything lined out. I said, he bought all this equipment, you know, and he's showing me a spirit box and K2 meter. And, and he gets to this thing and he says, this is called a portal. And it has a, it has a microphone and a speaker and it plays human voices, both male and female yes, speaking so backwards. Those, yeah. Yeah, have you seen that? Yeah, yeah, and if yeah. anything comes through forward, it's like a spirit talking through it, yeah. supposedly, you know, and you can also hear yourself because there's a microphone and yourself echoes back, you know, through it. And so we're having a conversation and we're kind of laughing around and uh, we could, cause we could hear ourselves, you know, so it was kind of funny. And then I, and we were talking about, like I said, there was this human spirit who's, body was supposedly in this river and you know and the, the reason i came there and it was all based on the psychic you know and i just made a joke and i said yeah unless it's all a bunch of bs and immediately we hear this woman's voice say oh i think not 
Wow. And Greg grabs it and turns it off and he starts putting it away. He's all, we gotta, we can't do nothing until the psychic's here. We can't do nothing until she's here. And I was just like, oh my gosh, what just happened? You know? And um, so that's kind of like an interesting little side note. That was pretty, yeah. pretty wild. I'd love <laughs> to have one of those. I've um I've seen them. There's um a TV show, I don't know if you've seen it, Death Walker with Nick Groff. Um, I, I don't actually watch any of the shows. Oh, you don't? Oh, there are there's some really good ones. But they they have a paranormal portal on there and they're just amazing pieces of equipment. I'd love to own one. Yeah, it's neat. It's pretty neat. That SLS camera is pretty neat too. Um, he got some stuff on that in his house that was just it's crazy because he was being there was something there messing with him. And when he was with the police force. He and this other guy just didn't get along at all. The other guy was like a, a liar and a cheater, and he got caught doing some stuff, and then he ended up getting out of it, and he was still on the force. And, um, you know, my buddy Greg just really didn't like the guy, and the guy ended up dying. Um, and the guy always crossed his legs just a certain way when he when he would be sitting in a chair. And this thing on the thing that he, he was being, like I said, he was being bugged. Something was knocking on his door and stuff in the middle of the night, like his closet door, stuff like that, trying to trying to mess with him all the time. And this thing sits was sitting in the chair and it crossed his legs. And he was like, oh, my gosh, I know who that is. <laughs> <laughs> so it's pretty wild, you know, it's, yeah. it's pretty wild. And another thing I noticed is um, people, whenever they're talking to spirits you know trying to get a reaction they're like trying to get them to jump through hoops you know trying to get them to do this for me do that for me you know what really got the connection with this human spirit that the psychic was is has been talking with was when she talked about something that was really individual to that person you know i was sitting there holding a k2 meter and she and she's and the psychic we're out out here and the psychic said that she was there, but she wouldn't get close because she was afraid of me and Greg. You know, she had this experience with men and she just didn't want to get near us. And then they they said, but you don't because she thought that because of what Sue does, that Sue was going to make her cross and go to heaven or whatever. And this girl wasn't the best person in life. And she's like this is a theory but she's just totally scared that she's not going to go to heaven you know she would come from a very catholic family and stuff and she's afraid she's going to go to hell not heaven so and greg said but you don't have to you don't have to go if you don't want to go you can still stay and visit family and stuff and sue repeated it and said oh yeah you don't have to go you can you know you can stay and you can visit with us you can and all of a sudden that k2 meter just went off just going crazy you know and it it has so much to do with them personally, you know, and or, and they are people, you know, they're not like some, it's not Casper the ghost, you know, they're actually people and they have feelings and they don't want to be manipulated and, and tried to told to do something, you know, but if you touch a nerve, if you, if you done your research and you know who the person is, then, um, you can really break some ground. And I would really tell everybody to get a psychic if you can, because without her, we got nothing. I mean, literally there's, you know, we have little, little tiny hints and pieces of evidence here and there that doesn't add up to squat without, without her, 
you know, he was right when he said, no, no, we can't do it without her. And, you know, I learned that later on in, in the investigation that she's invaluable, really. Yeah, she's well, she's like an interpreter, I guess. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. I've heard uh, it's quite a common thing for spirits to be scared of judgment, um, which is why they hang around. I've heard that quite a lot. Um, it makes but, a lot of sense. Yeah, I, I'm really interested in your abduction story. Would you be able to tell me a bit about that? Sure. So we're out there, like I said, we're out there hunting Bigfoot. And uh, we even heard, oh, my gosh, I heard, like, if people are familiar with the Ohio howl, it's just a big yell, like, but from the top of the mountain there, we heard one of those and it was echoing off the other mountain and it, gosh, it lasted about 15 or 20 seconds, just a big bellow. And I couldn't believe it. And I had recorders out and everything and, and I never could find it. You know, there wasn't any peaks or anything because it was so far away. I'm sure it was there somewhere on the, but I could never find it. And I, and I wasn't smart enough to run over to the recorder and make a bunch of noise or something so I could mark the spot, which is something you should do. If something happens, you know, make sure that you go over there and go, Hey, Hey, or something right next to your recorder so that it, it peaks and then, you know, yeah. where it is, you know, but anyway, that night after the howl, we took a walk down the road and we tend to do this when we go out there, we went no lights, no, nothing, no flashlights. We don't, you know, have our phones out or nothing. And we walked to the end of the road, or it wasn't to the end of the road, but just down the road a little ways. It's like a little dirt road to the access to this spot where we go. And, man, it was really, really dark. And we get down there, and something bum-rushed us, like like a, like a, um, like a faux charge. came Something came running at us and stopped just right there in the bushes. And I, I thought it was a bear or something. I didn't know what it was, and it scared the heck out of me because I was the closest one to it. And that's about where we stopped and turned around. <laughs> and when we're headed back to our camp, we all three of us, my buddy Dave and my buddy Mike and I, we all were seeing these little lights. And they were not far off or anything, just only like 10 feet away or something, right in the forest, right by the, not right on the, not right on the path though, just over a little bit. And we kept seeing these little lights and I've seen fireflies. It wasn't fireflies. It was just the weirdest little glowing lights, you know, little orbs. And we all three saw them and we all thought it was weird as heck. And we get back to the fire and we sit around the fire for just a little bit. And we all decided to go to bed. And my buddy Dave had his camper on the back of his truck. And my buddy Mike had a tent. And I was in the back of my Suburban, big old SUV. And so I get up in the middle of the night. And I, I just had to go to the bathroom real quick. So I jumped out and I went to the bathroom and I get back in and I'm trying to get comfortable. I had, it was cold. It was like only 35 degrees out or something that night. And so I had, a, I didn't have a sleeping bag. I had a bunch of covers and like, you know, what you call it? Like just, you know, just covers like at your house. <laughs> yeah. Blankets, things like that. Yeah. 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 So I had all this stuff and I was trying to get comfortable, kind of fighting with all this stuff, trying to get get in there and get comfortable. And all of a sudden this light goes right through my Suburban and it looked like somebody took a spotlight and just went right through inside. And I jumped up and looked and I couldn't see anything anywhere, you know, and Dave's camper was all shut up and 
Mike's tent was all closed up. And I was like, what the heck, you know? And then I went ahead and I went to sleep. And then I woke up like it was probably five in the morning and I was soaked in sweat. Oh my gosh. Sorry about that. I just lost you for a second, <laughs> but I was soaked in sweat from head to toe. And like I said, it was cold and my foot hurt. And I was like, what the heck? And I look at my foot and there's this big scratch across the top of my foot that drew blood. And I was like, what the heck? And it was just burning and stinging. And then I, I had my shoes on like the whole time I was out in the forest. Even when I got out to go pee, I put my shoes on to get out of the truck. So it was really strange that I had this cut on my foot. And then, I, um, and I noticed that my, my nose was hurting. Like it was really hurting and it, and it even was bleeding a little bit. And I was like, what the heck? And so I get up in the morning and I ask these guys, you know, did you guys get up and shine a light or something in my thing? And they're like, no, no, I never even got up. Both of them. No, I never even got up. I was just like, what the heck? And then I noticed these, like, it looked like strap marks across my legs, both on my thighs and down on my shins, straight across leg to leg. There was these red marks and there was even, there was like a little rash almost like, like poison oak almost, <laughs> but in straight lines across my legs. And then I, I told you about the nose thing. I had a hole in my index finger, fingernail, that I didn't even see at the time. It took a minute to grow out. It was like way back in the in the quick. And then it grew out and I seen that hole all the way as my fingernail grew out. And I say the strap marks in the thing. And then this just soaked in sweat. But the one thing that really, really changed, the, the biggest evidence was inside my brain. It was like somehow they flipped a switch in my brain. I was making this movie, making a documentary about Bigfoot. And I had a couple years worth of, you know, video and this great evidence. I had Mr. Bob Gimlin out in the forest being interviewed. Um, I had some other, you know, friends of mine that are semi-famous and stuff in the video. And, you know, um, just all kinds of really great evidence and everything. And I was already working on it, already editing it. There was already three scenes, I think, that I was working on where I was partially done with them. And I was so excited about it. It's all I could talk about at work. You know, it's all I could talk about whenever I was around anybody was this thing I was making, this cool, cool documentary that's going to prove to everybody that Bigfoot's real. And when that happened in my Suburban that night, I woke up and there was nothing but doubt about all of it. There was no, I, I didn't feel confident in one thing. I thought everybody was going to think it was all a bunch of BS. Um, it, I swear it was like, there was this, a, like they flipped a switch. It was like from on to off. And I, I consider myself pretty strong mentally. I've gone through some really stuff just using my brain. And I told myself that there's no way, no matter what is doing, has done happened to me, no matter who is trying to mess with my head, there's no way that I'm not going to do this. I'm going to make this movie. And to this day, this is a few years ago. And to this day, 
I can barely open up my laptop to do anything, and I cannot even get in the program and try to work on the movie at all. I just there's a total block where I can't do it. I mean, I it's just so weird. I just have whenever I even think about my laptop, I just have this feeling of just like there's a brick wall between me and it. I just and I mean that's that was the most incredible change that happened that that night, and the and the one thing that made me actually believe that I must have been abducted. And, and then there think? was the thing about my nose and it bled for a couple months. It kept bleeding out of that side. And there was even a dent right here in my forehead. Several months later, it was the weirdest thing, just straight up from my left nostril right there. There was a little dent. Wow. It was the weirdest thing. Yeah. So do you think that they tried to put you off what you were doing? Do you think that's what was happening? Yes. Yeah. And, um, from this new new thing where I told you that um, our psychic is communicating with the aliens, um, they they confirmed that they took me, and that they also confirmed that I I'm not good at it, that I don't like it at all, <laughs> <laughs> you know. So I fought, and that's why I had the marks, and that's why I was soaked in sweat because I was fighting them. I, I'm I'm not good at being abducted. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I can't imagine it's a nice experience. So, did they say why they wanted to stop you from telling everyone? No, no. I think it was you know this is me just theorizing again. I think it was just not their timing. You know, they did, they were not ready for Bigfoot to be exposed yet. You know, or or for people to really believe. Um, I think it's coming. You know, I do. Um, and I think that what we're doing now is it's also been very much um, tried to put down. Um, my buddy in Colorado, his computer has been attacked several times where his information is just like disappeared. He has no access to the files and it's only the files from the ranch. Wow. And so he had to take it to a computer specialist and have him retrieve the files and get them out. The computer specialist said that it was like government um, grade encryption on his stuff that um, he was wondering if Greg had worked for the government and stuff. And if he'd done that and Greg's like, no, I didn't do anything, you know, yeah. and um, then it happened again and we had to pay again to get that information from just that one file. Everything else on the computer works fine. <laughs> but just that one file, he he keeps on being denied access. And now we got the file off and we got it to the editor in LA and he's got, got it away from the house. And again, on Greg's computer, he has no access again to that file. And now he's asking for a copy again of the, the hard drive so that he can have access to that file again. It's like, um, and then he's sitting here talking to the, on a phone to this girl one day and he had it on, he was recording it. So I heard this and all of a sudden there's this banging, bang, 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 all the way down the side of the house. And he has like a, a concrete house that's got bricks on the outside. I mean, 
he has no idea how that sound even happened. There was snow on the ground, no footprints, no nothing. There was nobody outside banging on the house. Wow. And I mean, this, this is the same location where our psychic was attacked by this thing that came at her. And she said it was like translucent white, had red eyes and it was coming at her, reaching at her coming. And she jumped, she's like 72 years old and she jumped out of a chair and ran across the room to my buddy, Ryan. And Ryan was recording at the time and he's recording down the hall and he turned around and he got her coming at him with this terrified look on her face, you know, and saw this orb going back away from her going the, the direction it had come from and it turns and it was headed right towards my buddy ed brown and it does this it goes right right to his chest and goes up and over his head and we caught and it is totally like independent of the the, the lens you know it doesn't move with the camera you know it's not a lens flare or anything like that yeah. Um, it's it, in my opinion, it's about the best orb evidence I've ever seen because this thing makes an intelligent move and it correlates with her story of this thing coming at her, you know, and then we caught it going away uh, in orb form on film. And that's part of the same documentary that we you know that we're working on right now. It's just, and at the same place I got touched on my head on one side. And then on the other side, two nights in a row, where there was nothing that could have touched me, I got touched and I was not happy about it at all because I don't want to be touched by something. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, you know, and that I, I had a bunch of experiences there. My buddy Ed comes in and says, hey, I'm just going to write this down and not tell anybody anything. And then I want you to come outside with me. And so I go out on the porch. He was out there smoking a cigarette, you know, and I go out on the porch and I knew immediately what he wanted because I, I always have this feeling of being watched when Bigfoot's around. So he, he, he apparently was having this feeling of being watched or something out there. So he was wanting me to confirm this and he didn't say anything, but that's what it was in my mind, you know, and I go out there and I'm looking up and down the street. You can see all the way up and down the street from, from the porch. And I'm like, I don't feel anything out there come in this direction at all i said it but it's so weird because i feel like my shoulders and the back of my head it almost feels like there's something right behind me but nothing out in the street you know or looking at you or anything he's all okay okay and we go back in the house and then he takes the psychic out there on the porch and they're out there for a few minutes and they come in and she's all laughing, and go oh yeah she's right there smoking her cigarettes in the chair like she always does right on the porch right behind me uh -huh. Oh and I goodness. guess there's this old lady that used to live there and she sits on the porch and smokes her cigarettes and just, you know, sits there on the porch and enjoys the day. <laughs> and that freaked me out. I was just like, oh, my gosh. <laughs> so you must have a really good sixth sense then, because it seems like you can sense all these things. Yeah, I've learned more and more that I'm I'm quite empathic. You know, I can I can sense what people feel and stuff quite often. And I've always had that. But I mean, I'm just realizing more and more that um, it's kind of strong. Yeah. Yeah, I know what you mean. I, I think I'm very similar. Um, it just um, ends up that I <laughs> end up being quite emotional all the time. I am um, a teacher. Yeah. I'm a school teacher. And um, even today, I, I teach children who are nine and ten. And even just teaching them, um, we were 
talking about uh, Holocaust Day tomorrow and, and what it's all about. And I just and I just start crying while I'm telling them about it. And they look at me like I'm mad. I say, I'm sorry, I can't help it. I just feel things so strongly. Um, it, just, it gets in the way sometimes. <laughs> I can absolutely relate. You know, everybody thinks it's a gift. Well, it's kind of a curse too. You know, it's embarrassing when you go watching a movie out in the down public and all of a sudden you can't quit crying. Yeah. <laughs> <You know? laughs> so I'm sure you can relate. Yeah, definitely. Um, wow. So um, remind me what your book's called, will you please? Um, the, the book I talked about is Northern yeah. California Sasquatch Stories. And okay. it's available on Amazon and Kindle. Um, you can get it in paperback. Um, it's like I said, it's a collection of my um, stories from my youth. And I've also got another book that's, um, it's a gem. This guy, um, he contacted me. Well, actually it was, it was kind of a weird thing. I saw he's posted something in a group and I was really enthralled. He just posted, you know, little snippets of some of a story. And then I became his friend and then he posted on his page or on his, um, you know, his profile that he was looking for a writer to help him, you know, and I'd already seen a little bit of the story and I'm all, you know, I can help. What the heck, you know, and I'm, I won't charge nobody or nothing. You know, I just said, yeah, I can help you write down your story. You know, I'm an editor and stuff. So um, he starts sending me through text messages, this entire story. And it is just, it was like, you could hardly read it. He was, he was like not really good at spelling or grammar. And I basically had to like interpret it and try to take the meaning of what he was trying to say. And that's what I did. I tried to stay completely true to what he was trying to say. And I'm, I wrote it down and I edited it and made a book and it's called the wild boy of Kentucky. And it's about him. When he was a boy, he befriended a Bigfoot boy. And they played together in the forest. And he he was introduced to the whole Bigfoot family. And um, he, he talks about his experiences, you know, and he was on his deathbed. He was in hospice care when I started talking to the guy. The last communication I had was his his sister was talking through his text to me and told me that he wanted to tell me the rest of the story. And that she was going to relay it to me. And then I never heard from him again. Oh. And just like a, a week or so after that, I actually finished what he had given me, you know, and I posted it on his Facebook page, you know, and he never reacted or anything. Apparently he had already died. Oh, dear. So um, basically it was like his last wish to get this story out. And I feel like I did a real service to mankind by by writing this book because it is a really incredible story. And it it does talk about some woo aspects and things. And this guy swears it's all true, everything, you know. And um I'm like I say, I'm just glad I got to write it. And um it's it's a great book. It's also available on Amazon. Like I said, it's the Wild Boy of Kentucky. And they're both under my name, Dan Lindholm. Yeah, that sounds amazing. I'd love to read that actually. I love um, I love the idea. I think the kind of romantic part of my brain just really loves the idea that you could make friends with these creatures, although I know that not everybody's experiences are 
are like that. And yeah, maybe a lot of these missing people in the national parks are, you know, taken by Bigfoots. I don't know, but I do, I would like to think that if I met one, maybe I could communicate with it, but maybe that's just wishful thinking. Yeah, well, I'd like to think so too, you know. Um, I've been around them enough times, you know. They, I don't think they want to hurt you, especially once they know you, you know. And that's another thing. They won't even throw rocks at you unless they know you. I mean, pretty much. It took me quite a while being out in the forest before they started throwing rocks at me. And it's a distraction thing. I was getting better and better at going right where they were. And um, it's a total distraction thing. They're trying to get you to stop what you're doing so that they that you don't walk right up on them, you know? And um, I've had quite a bit of experiences with rocks throws after, after they started doing it. Then they did it almost every time I went out there for, you know, and um, it's just, it's the one thing that they do that you can't say any other animal did it. You know, you can try to say a peop people did it, but you know, there's been times when I've been out there and there's, when I get, it's a couple miles away from the campground for one. And that's where you got to stop is the campground. It's all the way on the other side of this big lake where you got to walk all the way around the lake. And, you know, there's been times when I come back and all there was, was one old couple there at the campground fishing, you know, and they weren't over there throwing rocks at me. You know what I mean? And not one boat on the lake, nothing, you know, sometimes it's just like, um, is people will always try to find an excuse, you know, and like I said, you don't ever want to attribute Bigfoot to anything until you've eliminated all the possibilities. But when they're throwing rocks at you, that's a really good sign, in my yeah. opinion. I also think that um, I know that some people's stories can have parts to them that seem quite unbelievable. But I think it's, it is really important to listen to people's stories respectfully because even if you suspect that maybe part of it isn't true or has been elaborated, who's anyone to say that someone else's experience is not real? You know, it, you, you weren't there, so how can you judge what they're saying? I totally agree with you, absolutely, 100%. And another thing that um, I see is if if somebody sees one little thing about your story that doesn't quite line up, then they throw the whole story out. And it's, you know, kind of like you alluded to, we're, we're all human, you know, people can misinterpret things, you know, the whole story could be till BS, but at the same time, maybe just one little portion of it was misinterpreted, or maybe they don't remember exactly what time of day it was, or, you know, whether it was a cloudy day or a sunny day, or, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and people will take something like that, that has nothing to do with the actual meat of the story. It's just like the, 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 you know, the details that like support the story, you know, and, and people will totally throw out the whole story. And, you know, like I say, we're all human, you know, people make mistakes. Even people will tell the same story, you know, for years. And then all of a sudden they'll flub up and mess something up because they just, our brains don't always work right. <laughs> you know, <Yeah. laughs> We're all, we're all getting old and getting Alzheimer's and, you know, sometimes we mix up stuff and, you know, it's as, it's as simple as, um, you know, what syrup did I get last time? You know, I mean, that it's that simple. 
as far as why a story can all of a sudden change or or not be does you know why why you you heard it on that podcast and then you heard it on a different podcast and it wasn't exactly the same you know what i mean we're yeah. we're all human people do that you know i'm not saying that and nobody's ever accused me of that cuz nobody has but i'm just saying people generally don't trust stories as much as i think they should because really the people have nothing to gain by coming out with a story you know people are going to think you're freaking nuts you know for the most part at least back when i was a kid and stuff that people didn't give it nearly as much credibility as they would nowadays you know nowadays people are actually open to the idea you know but at, there was a certain time when they throw you in the loony bin if you come back and tell them that you're talking to spirits or you you saw a bigfoot you know yeah yeah definitely so am i right in thinking that you're in oregon now yes i'm in oregon yeah and did you move there um to to be closer to bigfoot or was that just a coincidence because it's meant to be quite a good place for sightings isn't it actually it had a lot to do with it um my wife we were living in idaho and my wife was working on the road as a medical coder and she got a job in klamath falls oregon and um they offered her a permanent position because they really liked her. And it was the first place she'd worked, you know, she traveled all over the country working and it was the first place where she really clicked and got along with everybody and stuff. So she really would like to do it. And at the time I was, you know, working my butt off in Idaho and I said, you know, what the heck, you know, it's, it's, you know, for years I've been out making movies, 10, 10 or 11 days gone and, you know, um, trying to do this, trying to do that. It's always about me. So I was like, you know, for once in my life, I think I should do something for my wife and let it be about her. So, but at the same time, I'd been there to visit her and I saw the trees and I saw the forest and I I really kind of got a fire for for doing some squatching. And I I um that was a big part of my decision making, honestly, that I decided to go ahead and make the move and, and come to Oregon because I did want an opportunity to get out there. You know, at the time I was a basically just a armchair researcher, you know, and yeah. I've had experiences, had my stories, but um, I was, I was totally in the scene, but not out in the woods so much. Yeah. So it was, it was really a golden opportunity to get out in the woods once I got to Klamath Falls, Oregon. And that's where I did all my research was right there in the, in the Cascade mountains by four mile Lake, right in the sky lakes wilderness right there in Southern Oregon. And it's just a beautiful, beautiful area. And nobody realizes that there's, you know, the, the Sasquatch population in Southern Oregon, because everybody thinks about, you know, Mount hood and they think about up in Washington and all the sightings, but basically, there's just not that many people out in the woods in Southern Oregon. And that's why there's not so many sightings. There's there's just as many Bigfoot, if not more. <laughs> um, and have you been to the North American Bigfoot Center? Cliff yes, Bar I have. Barrickman's on. Oh, yes, I, I have. Really, I it's my ambition it. to go there. It is. An, uh, it's really an amazing project he put together there. It really is, you know. Um, he It's got all the science right there so you can see it you know I, I just i really love it i love it you know and um you can't just can't say enough about that place and what they're what they're doing for the legitimacy of bigfoot research really yeah i interviewed cliff um about a year and a half ago and he was 
he's such a nice man. And um, and every now and then I'll sort of check in and ask him how he's doing, and he always replies. He's just so he's got such a lot of time for people. I, I really liked him. Yeah, he's a really nice guy. I've met Cliff. He's a great guy. Yes. Yeah. So um, about your documentary, does it have a name yet, or is that still all in, uh, in like wrapped in secret so far? No, it should be um, tentatively where it's going to be called Friends in the Sky because that my buddy Greg, he he calls them fits and it's for Friends in the Sky oh because um, he wanted to develop a friendship with them instead of like an adversarial thing or, you know, not not so much trying to present being scared as trying to be friends, you know? Mm -hmm. So he came at him like that. And, um, you know, and I don't know if it has to do with exposure to the psychic or um, if they're doing something, but he's gained some psychic abilities and is able to also communicate with them at this point. And um, so, you know, it's, it's working. The And the reason they like him is because, he's like the first one that doesn't freak out and, and get all scared. And they just think he's, he's a funny character <laughs> <laughs> because he's, he's not afraid of them and he wants to be friends, you know? So um, that's, that's the tentative name anyway, is friends in the sky. That's probably what it's going to be called. And um, the secondary title would be um, mutilation ranch. Wow, why is that? Why is that? Oh, because of the castle mutilations. Yeah. Yeah. And the place doesn't really have a name, but um it's been visited by a lot of researchers and I mean ancient aliens has even been on the property. And um there's not really a name to it, you know, like like um the Skinwalker Ranch has a name, you know, and people can identify with it. Mm -hmm. And um he's had 16 cat mutilations on this ranch. So it's a fitting name. And those are just the ones that he knows about because you know, they've been on the ranch since the 1950s and they've always lost cattle, but they never really saw a pattern or realized, you know, exactly that it was like mutilation thing un until um, I think the 80s. So he doesn't really know how many cattle have have been mutilated over the years, honestly. Yeah. And um, is is that in Oregon or is that in a different state? That's in Southern Colorado. It's right on the New Mexico border. And um, it's, it's, it's a crazy, and it's a, an area known for cattle mutilations. There's more than just that rancher in that area that have had them. And, you know, Northern New Mexico, Southern Colorado, that's, that's the hot spot for cattle mutilations. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm fascinated to learn more and um, please do let me know when the documentary's out and I'll see if I can stream it somewhere over here. Um, we do tend to be at least six months behind on everything. Uh, so I'll probably <laughs> have to wait. <laughs> oh, well, well it's if, been, sorry, go on. When we get this done, I, I'll just send you a copy. <laughs> oh, wow. That would be amazing. And um well, I hope to come. I haven't been over to the USA for 20 years now. I went a lot when I was in my early 20s. But, um, you know, um, marriage and children and careers and everything have sort of put paid to that. But I'm hoping now my kids are older that maybe 
my husband and I could escape over to the USA a few times. So I'd, I'd love to come and check some of these things out for myself. Oh, heck yeah. Heck yeah. I'd more be more than happy to take you out in the woods. Oh, that would be amazing because my one fear, it sounds ridiculous probably, but my one fear more than, you know, I, I'm quite happy to meet aliens or Bigfoot, but the thought of a bear just sends me the cold sweat. <laughs> That's me with sharks. Is it? <laughs> you see, they don't bother me so much, but bears, I don't know why. They just absolutely terrify me. <laughs> well, they're pretty terrifying. <laughs> they really are. <laughs> oh Well, thank you so much, Dan. It's been a real pleasure talking to you. And um, I hope maybe after, maybe after the documentary's out, you could come on again and, and tell us what happened and, and how it went down. All right. That sounds real good. Thanks a lot for having me on. I really appreciate you. That's all right. Thank you so much. Take care. And um, I hope to speak to you again soon in the future. All right. Sounds great. All right. Thanks a lot. All right. Bye. Take care. Thank you, Dan. There were some mind-bending stories there and mind-altering ideas. Now, before we go, it wouldn't be right if we didn't have one of our listeners' stories. Yes, someone sent one in, and it was my really good friend from Pursuit of the Paranormal podcast, Ash Ellis. So, let's hear what Ash has got to say. Hello Michaela, hello everybody. My name is Ash Ellis, I'm host of the Pursuit of the Paranormal podcast and I just want to share my own ghost story. So this happened probably around seven years ago now and I was in Nutsford in the northwest of England and I was at the pub called the Lord Eldon, a very very old pub right in the centre of Nutsford Town and it was a pub poker night played there every week local £5 in pub poker tournament that type of stuff and this one particular night I was sat kind of at the head of the table with the entrance to the bar on my left and the room we were in was a private room only people that were playing poker were in there there's only about six of us in there at this time and there's nowhere to go so nobody would come into the room unless they were playing poker there's no toilets there's no smoking area it's just this kind of back room just for us so it's getting late on it's around 10 o'clock and one of the players let's call him dave had recently left as he goes to care for his wife after a certain time so he's got to be home. So he had left. There's just a few of us left. And we're playing poker. As I'm in a hand. I see the door open. So the door is to my left. And in my kind of peripheral vision. In the corner of my eye. I see the door open from the bar. And I see somebody come in. So I assume it's Dave. 
He'd only left a few minutes earlier, thought maybe he forgot something, and I thought it's him that come back in. So I see the door open, this person come in, and they walk behind me and stand behind my right shoulder. And then he says something. But I don't quite hear what he said, it's just like I knew that he'd said something. Nobody at the table reacted. So me not wanting to be rude sort of turned round to acknowledge that he was there and like say excuse me, like pardon, what did you say? So I turned to look and there's nobody there. So I look around the table. I'm like, did did Dave just come back in? And I was like, no, nobody's come in. And my mate who was sat to my right, who's kind of sat facing the door, was like, no, nobody's come in. He's like, it's just us. And she said, what's wrong? You look like you're seeing a ghost. So I was like, I think I just have. It was, I just went, why? I was just like, I saw someone come in, stand behind me. When someone stood, like, right next to you, you kind of feel the presence, like, someone's in your personal space and that's what it felt like it felt like there was someone stood just over my right hand shoulder and I heard heard them talk like I said I didn't hear exactly what was said but it was like they said something like to the table because nobody reacted I didn't want to be rude so I looked yeah there's, there's nobody there and I have looked into the, like the history of the building and there has been ghost reports previously uh, centred around a woman uh, that's been seen there and move things stuff like that uh, but yeah very very unusual but we never had the visitor again sadly to our poke night so yeah this is my little poke night ghost story from the lord elden inn in nutsford <laughs> Hello! That was fantastic, wasn't it? Thank you, Ash, for sending that in. Um, Don't forget, everybody else, you need to send in your true experience stories as well. Send it to my voicemail, which is 07935 100 162. That's 07935 100 162. And I will download your voice experience and put it on the podcast. Also, you can send your stories to me via my email address if you record yourself a voice note on your phone or simply email me your story at paranormal or what podcast at outlook.com that's paranormal or what podcast at outlook.com well folks thank you so much for listening today i've got some fantastic guests coming on i think i've got eight interviews booked now so there's going to be some amazing people on talking about ufos talking about ghosts talking about bigfoot um i've got a fantastic guy coming on um to tell me all about his bigfoot book and his bigfoot stories i've got the people from paranation events coming on to tell me all of their information um and some quite well-known people as well so don't forget to tune in every week please 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 tell your friends about the podcast 
Also, please like, rate, subscribe and visit the YouTube the YouTube channel, Paranormal or What Podcast, is only in its fledgling days, but I am gradually uploading the interviews on there as well. And I'm hoping to get lots more listeners and lots more viewers so that maybe we can be entered into some of the podcast um, of the year competitions, which would be really cool. Okay. Now, you can do this. You can help me to grow this podcast and you can be some of the main members of the Facebook group, Paranormal or What Podcast. And I am going to be looking out soon for someone to help me with the social media aspect of it. So show me your true fans and upload the podcast. Rate the podcast. Share it to your friends. Get everybody involved. I love you all. You're fantastic. And I couldn't do this without you, obviously. So take care. Be safe. You're fabulous. Good night.